Have fun, Azalea. <laughs> well, how's everybody doing this morning? So good to see you all here this morning. You know, Jessica was making uh, announcements about our summer celebration, and we will be doing a baptism there. We usually do that for our summer baptism there. And I was thinking about it. Well, I wasn't really thinking about it. Everybody else was telling me about it, that it's been a while since we talked about baptism. And my wife was like, you know, you really should go through there because it's, it's not just relevant to those who are being baptized, but it's good reminder for those who have already been, and maybe it's been a while, about the, about the whole idea behind baptism because there's so much more than just dunking people under the water. That's not what baptism is about. It's a very symbolic event that has to do with the core cornerstone of our Christianity. And so this morning, I'm going to talk about baptism. You all right with that? Good, because we are going to do it whether you were or not. Sometimes I just feel like I should humor you a little. Oh, come on. It's okay to have fun in church. I figured if we're going to talk about baptism, the first place we should probably start is the one who has it in his name, and that is John the Baptist. And because you can get the idea that John the Baptist baptism is what we talk about when we're talking about baptism in general as Christians, but really it's not. And so let's look at the story here in Matthew chapter 3. It says, In those days, John the Baptist came to the Judean wilderness and began preaching, and his message was this. Repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. And I think I've heard lots of old school preachers preach that type of message, you know, turn or burn, you know, you know, you need to repent and turn. But, you know, that's really not the message that Jesus brought. Let's continue on. It says in the next verse, it says, The prophet Isaiah was speaking about John when he said this, He is a voice shouting in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord's coming. Clear the road for him. So John the Baptist's purpose, as prophesied by the prophet Isaiah, was to prepare the people of that time for Jesus. Not to prepare you for Jesus, but to prepare them for Jesus. And it says that John's clothes were woven from coarse camel hair. I can't see that I'd want to wear like a camel skin suit or a camel hair shirt. It's just so scratchy. And so you got to imagine like he's wearing this furry camel skin that's got to be super uncomfortable. And it says he wore a leather belt around his waist. And for food, he ate locusts and wild honey. So if we just think about the picture the Bible paints about John, if you met him, you'd be like, oh my goodness, it's the crazy guy from the desert. Right? And it says the people from Jerusalem and from all of Judea and all over the Jordan Valley went out to see and hear John. And I'm thinking like the conversation started like this. Have you heard about that crazy guy out there in the desert by the Jordan River? He's talking about these crazy things and he keeps dunking people in the water. Maybe we should go and see. But as, as the, the spectacle began to grow and grow and more and more people came out there, John was able to prepare more and more hearts for Jesus. You know, sometimes God will use things that seem odd to everyone else. That's okay. That means he can use you. Oh, wait, wait. I'll put it on myself. He can use me. God has no problem using the strange things. It says, the Bible says that he uses the foolish things of this earth to confound the wise. And so God used John the Baptist, this crazy camel skin wearing guy who ate locust and honey to prepare the people for Jesus. 
And it says they, they confessed their sins and he baptized them in the Jordan River. But when the, he saw that many of the Pharisees and Sadducees were coming to, everyone say the word with me, watch. So they weren't there to participate. They weren't ha there to have their hearts prepared. They were there to spectate. And you know, spectating in life is not fun. Yesterday, we went to what was called Race the Runway in Smith Falls and where they bring in all these beautiful exotic cars, these Lamborghinis and McLarens, and they go as fast down this, this runway as they can trying to get the top speed in the quarter mile. You know, I was sitting there thinking about it yesterday and I was like, this is fun to watch. I would rather be driving though. And most things in life are that way. Things are fun to watch, but they are much better to participate in. And so the Pharisees and the Sadducees had come out to the river to watch. And it says that John Bennett denounced them, and he used a lot of choice words for them, but we'll skip over that. But he got down to the crust of it in this, in verse 11. He says, I baptize with water those who repent of their, everyone say the word with me, sins and turn to God, but someone is coming soon who is greater than I am. So the message that Jesus was bringing was greater than the message of John. So we have to understand that the baptism that comes after Jesus is greater than the baptism of John. Out of John's own mouth, he's saying what's happening right now is good, but what's coming is better. And he said, it's so much greater that I'm not even worthy to be his slave and carry his sandals, and he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And so there's so much more depth to the baptism that comes after once Jesus has gone to the cross and gone to the grave and then risen again and ascended onto the, on high to the throne of God. There's so much more depth than just getting washed in the water and turning your heart away from your sins. And so I think a good place to start would be what is baptism? In its simplest definition, we can just call it this. It's a, it's a public declaration of your immersion into Christ. I always like to point out to people that baptism does not save you. And uh, there's, there's some aspects of Christianity that believe that if you aren't baptized, you don't go to heaven but we'll talk about that later on in this. Baptism doesn't save you. It is a public declaration of something that has already taken place. Now, this is what Jesus said when he was praying right before the cross. He's got his disciples with him, and he's praying his last prayer, and he says, I do not pray for these alone, but also for all those who will believe in me through those, their word. So he's got his disciples there, and he's saying, I'm praying for these guys, but I'm also praying for everyone else who's going to come after this point as a result of them going out. So that means he's talking to us, right? And this is what he prayed that they may all be one. As you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be one with us, that the world may believe that you sent me. So Jesus talks about his relationship with God. He's saying, God, you and I were one together. Now I want you to take them, and I want you to immerse them into us. That was Jesus' prayer that was Jesus' mindset going to the cross. I don't want it just to be you, Father, and me and the Holy Spirit any longer. Take all of them and bring them together with us. So baptism 
is a public declaration of your immersion into Christ. And the reason why I've underlined public there is because so many people these days, it seems to be more and more increasing, they want to live their Christian faith in private. It's okay if they go to church, but they don't want anybody else to know. You know, I was actually reading the statistics that were really crazy a little while ago, and that they're saying that the under 18 uh, crowd, when you ask them about evangelism and declaring their faith, over 50% believe that it is wrong to tell someone else about your faith. Over 50%. Not that it's wrong to be a Christian, but it's wrong to tell somebody else that you are. And so as things go on, it's getting more and more that people want it to be, it's good for me, but I'm too afraid to tell anybody else. Well, this is what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10, verse 33. He says, everyone who denies me here on earth, I'll also deny before my Father in heaven. He's saying, if you want me to be talking to God about you, talk to others about me. And I love what Paul wrote in Romans chapter 1. He says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. And so if you're not willing to acknowledge your salvation, you have already short-circuited yourself from the power that it can bring to you when you put your faith in Christ. You want to see your life look different than those around you? Grab hold of the power that has been made available to you through the salvation when you receive Jesus Christ. It wasn't about just taking him and getting a little bit of fire insurance. He was wanting to take you, fill you, and use you in ways that you couldn't do on your own life is pretty boring as a natural human but God's got exciting things for those who are willing to stand up and be bold about being his and being used the very word baptism that we have is comes from the Greek word baptizo which is a verb which is an action right a verb is an action Jessica miss teacher So to baptize is a physical action. It's not a belief. It's an action of something. And it means to immerse or to submerge and to cleanse by dipping. Now, I'm not really big on commentaries when I'm about the word because I find that people fill them too much with their opinion and not enough with what the word actually says. But as I was reading a commentary on this word for baptizo, it said that this word should not be confused with bapto which is another similar Greek word. And they said that the Greek poet and physician Nicander wrote a really good synopsis of these two words about 200 years before we see it here um, being used in Matthew. And the way that he described the difference between these two words, get this, this is how he did it. He used a pickle recipe. And he said, in order to make a pickle, the vegetable should first be dipped or bapto into boiling water, and then baptizo, or baptized, or immersed into the vinegar solution. He said, both verbs concern the immersing of vegetables into a solution, but the first is temporary, and the second, the act of baptizing the vegetable, produces a permanent change. So God is not wanting you just to be bapto or to be dipped into him. He's wanting you to be immersed, producing permanent change within your insides, within your outside, between your relationships, between everything that's going on in your life. He wants it to be immersed into him. 
Baptism doesn't save you, but it is the acknowledgement of the permanent change that has taken place when you received Jesus, when you went through the pickling process. (laughs) Oh, I thought it was good too. In John chapter 1 verse 12, it says, but as many as received him. To them he gave the right to become the children of God, to those who believe on his name. So this process of immersion doesn't happen automatically. It says that as many as received him. And so we all go through the process of making that that choice, that acknowledgement that's saying, God, I realize that I can't do this on my own, that I I am not enough but I recognize that you are enough, and so I receive you. Going to church, as I've said many times before, does not make you a Christian any more than going into your garage makes you a car. You are not a Christian by association. You are a Christian by receiving the gift that God has provided for you, and then he immerses you into himself. Paul said this to the Corinthians. He says, he has died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves instead they will live for christ who died and was raised for them i love that that he died and was raised for us he didn't do it for his own benefit he did it for our benefit the next verse is better though he says so we have stopped evaluating others from the human viewpoint at one time we thought of christ as from a merely human point of view how differently we know him now you know there's a lot of people that believe that jesus was just a good man and that he was a good teacher and if that's the case we're all screwed He was not just merely a man. He was just not merely a good teacher. He was the son of God who came down to effect permanent change in you and in all those who would receive him. And it says, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life has gone and a new life has become. A new life has come. When we receive Jesus, the old is dead. It's gone, and you have stepped into the newness of Christ. I like how the New King James says it better, though. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, in Christ, what does it mean to be in something? If this is a cup, this is me inside of it. This is not me over here. This is what it means to be in. He has taken us and placed us in Christ. And if he is in Christ, then he's a new creation. Creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. He says it's a new creation. Not just he made you better, he completely rebuilt you with new parts, with new, re- new abilities. Hallelujah. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So what have we been immersed into? What does it mean to be immersed into God? Well, Paul told the Romans this. He says, or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized or immersed into Christ Jesus were also immersed into his death? 
So when you think about the death of Jesus, you know, we, we, you've watched the Passion of the Christ or you've heard the Easter story, you know, you, you've seen the scene where Jesus is up on the cross and he cries out, it is finished, and he lets out his last breath and he dies. You need to have a new perspective of it because the moment that he died, so did your old self. You were right there on the cross with him. And when you were placed into Christ, you were also placed into his death. And it says, for we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, we now may live new lives. So not only were we left just in the death of Christ, we were raised the same with him by his glorious power. And it says, since we have been united with him in his death, we will also be raised to life as he was. You know, that's something we need to wrap our heads around. As the, in the book of John, or 3 John, it says that, or 1 John, sorry, it says that as he is, so are we now in this world. So we don't look at ourselves as how we are right now. John tells us that we are as he is right now on the right hand of the Father. And so I always like to do do this remembrance when I'm thinking about what he is right now. If I'm going through a hard time, I'm like, is Jesus going through a hard time on the right hand of the Father? No. So I choose to not let this have power over me. When I'm starting to feel sick, I'm like, is Jesus sick on the right hand of the Father? Then no, I choose not to walk in that right now. When I'm feeling like I can't get over, like the situations of life are crawling, closing in on me, I look and like, is Jesus feeling the pressure right now? Is Jesus feeling worried about this right now? Is Jesus going through anxiety right now? So then I choose not to either because as John said, as he is, so are we now in this world not that we're going to be and too many christians are waiting for the sweet by and by then it will all be good you don't have to wait till now you can access the treasures of heaven you can access the realities of jesus right here right now because you've already been immersed into god So since we have been united with him in his death, we will also be raised to life as he was. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives and that we are no longer slaves to sin. So John's baptism was about people turning from their sin. God's baptism is about taking sin and killing it. And so many people allow themselves to be defined by what they've done rather than what God has done. He says he killed your sin. He took it to the grave so that you don't have to be a slave to it. You don't have to be chained to it. It doesn't have to hold you back anymore. It says, for when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. And since we died with Christ, we know we also live with him. Hallelujah. We are sure of this because Christ was raised from the dead and he will never die again. Death no longer has any power over him. And if you've been seated together in heavenly places with him, as Paul said in Ephesians, if death no longer has any power over him, how can it have power over you 
Now, this is not to say that you're never going to die. It says that every man has been appointed a time. I don't believe God has a set date that you're going to die on this date because it's your time to come home. But no, there is a time in your life where you will reach the end, whether it comes to the end of your 120 or by poor choices you've made up until that point. Everyone has a time. But it doesn't mean that you need to let death rule over you all the days of your life. It says, when he died, he died once to break the power of sin. But now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. So if he lives for the glory of God, that means that we do too. And it says, so, as a result of all that, you should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. Now, a lot of people have an easy time focusing on the sin. I would recommend spend more time focusing on the fact that you are alive together with God through Christ Jesus. Why do we always need to focus on the negative side of things? Is that because we've been trained that way? That's the way we've been raised in our culture. We look for the, look for the weak. We look for the, the struggle. We look for the, the worry. We look for the anxiety. How about we retrain ourselves to look for the life? Look for the things we can be grateful for. Look for the things that are good and pure and lovely. Oh, wait, this sounds like a verse that Paul said. Think on these things. If there's any of good merit in it, think on it. And if you look at your life long enough, you can find something to be grateful for can't find one you just took a breath be thankful you ain't dead but your old life is so why should we be baptized well Paul told the Colossians about Jesus he said he is the head of the body the church who is the beginning the firstborn from the dead that in all things he may have preeminence what was he saying in all things Jesus goes first and when Jesus goes first, that means that there's someone going second. There's someone going third. There's going, someone going 1,635,000, whatever day, number, we don't know. But if Jesus goes first, it's because he wants others to follow him through it. And Paul said to the Corinthians, he says, you should imitate me just as I imitate Christ. So what did Jesus do? We don't have to ask the question, you know, WWJD, what would Jesus do? We can ask the WWJD, what did Jesus did? <laughs> oh, come on. In Matthew chapter 3, back to the story of John the Baptist, it says, Then Jesus from Galilee went to the Jordan River to be baptized by John. And it says, John tried to talk him out of it. But he said, I am the one who needs to be baptized by you, so why are you coming to me? But Jesus said, it should be done, for we must carry out all that God requires. So John agreed to baptize him. And it says, after his baptism, Jesus came up out of the water, and the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and sitting on him. And it says, suddenly, a voice came from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. You know that that's the same thing that your beloved father says about you? That he is pleased with you. That he loves you. How do I know that? Because he died for you on your worst day. He wiped away your sin before you even existed. 
right? Last time I checked, Jesus didn't die yesterday. He died 2,000 years ago. So how many of your sins were future tense at that point? All of them. On your worst day, he died for you. And if it didn't stop God from sending Jesus on that day, how much more today is he speaking the same thing over you? You are my beloved son. You are my beloved daughter in whom I am well pleased. So Jesus went through baptism because it said, he said that it was what God wanted him to do. And then one of his final words when leaving earth, Jesus said this, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And so not only was it good for Jesus, he said all those who are going to believe in the future, go ahead and baptize them as well. So my question is, were they obedient? Because, you know, there's a lot of things that we're taught in our lives that we never actually put into practice. And so if we have to look and see, well, what did they actually do? If we jump ahead to Acts chapter 8, there's a man named Philip, and he went out down into the region of Samaria, and he began to preach the gospel to those around. And in verse 9, we pick it up. It says, there was a certain man named Simon who previously practiced sorcery in the city and astonished the people of Samaria, claiming that he was someone great, and to whom they all gave heed, and from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is a great power of God. And they heeded him because he had astonished them for so long with his sorceries for a long time. But when they believed Philip as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. So as a result, they, he preached, they believed, and then they all went and got baptized. And it said, then Simon himself also believed, and when he was, when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and was amazed seeing the miracles and signs which were done. So here we see the story of Philip. He preaches, and then they baptize them. Now, this is a question that I had someone come up to me a while ago with, is when are you good enough to be baptized? And the answer is, do you believe? Then today you are. There was no separation in between this. They believed when Philip preached, and they went and got baptized. You don't need to clean yourself up to get baptized, just like you didn't need to clean yourself up to get saved. God is not looking at your, your, the good list that you've done or the bad list that you've done. He's looking at the grace of God that he sent through Jesus. And so if you come in contact with people who aren't sure they're worthy of being baptized, were you worthy of Jesus? And if they say no, go ahead and tell them how worthy they are. People need to know that God loves them and that he's poured out his grace for them and that his mercy is new every day. God's not the old meanie waiting to slap the people whenever they screw up. And so these people believed when Philip preached and then they were baptized. Let's look at another example. Same chapter, it says, So he, Philip arose and he went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury, he had come to Jerusalem to worship. And he was returning, and sitting in his chariot, he was reading Isaiah the prophet. And the spirit said to Philip, Go near and overtake this chariot. And so Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, Do you understand what you are reading. 
That's always a good question to ask yourself when you're reading the Bible. Do I actually understand if you don't slow down, read slower, look at some secondary references? You don't just plow through it and be like, well, I just wasted an hour reading and I don't understand anything. Good question to ask. Do you understand what you're reading? And he said this. He says, how can I unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. And the place in the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before its shearer is silent, he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his justice was taken away. And who will declare and who will declare his generation? For his life was taken from the earth. And so the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask of you, of whom does the prophet say this? Of himself or some other man? And Philip opened his mouth and beginning at this scripture, preached Jesus to him. That's the only thing that's going to help anyone. You preach Jesus to them. And it just happens to be great that Isaiah was talking about Jesus being led to the cross. And it says, Now as they went down the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? And here's Philip's answer. If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That's salvation. That's what Romans says. If you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, you shall be saved. You know, today's society teaches us to internalize a lot of things. Well, I've thought about it, but have you ever expressed it? You can think you believe in God all you want, but until you take those words and actually filter them through your mouth, they don't do you any good. Isn't that what we were talking about with faith last week when studying David? They do no good as long as you keep them inside. And so the eunuch asked, what do I do? He says, if you believe, you can. And he said, I believe. That's all that ta- it takes. And so he commanded the chariot to stand still, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. Now when they came up out of the water... The Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away so that the eunuch saw him no more and he went on his way rejoicing. I love this story because you got to think of how strange this must have seemed to the eunuch. He puts him down into the water and when he comes up, he's the only one standing there. And the next verse says that Philip was found at Azotus. That's about a hundred miles away. That's a good way to travel. I'm here. You know, I, I heard a story, it was many years ago, that Billy Brim had been uh, supporting this missionary in uh, Siberia. And the man didn't have a car. This was before the Iron Curtain had fallen. And uh, he didn't have a car to get around to all these places he needed to minister. And so God was just going, and he'd be at the place that he needed to be. And so Billy and her friends decided in all their wisdom that, hey, we should raise money and buy this guy a car. And they did it. And they sent him the car. He was able to get it. And you know what happened? God stopped moving him around. (laughs) And as they thought about it, it was like, we should have just let God be God because now the guy has a way to get there. So here, that's what happens with Philip. Philip is there one moment and then he's in Azotus the next. One more story and then we'll start closing up. Here, if we go to Acts chapter 16, we find the story of Paul and Silas. 
They've been uh, arrested, they've been beaten, and they've been put down into the lowest section of the prison, down in the dungeon. It's dark, it's wet. They have their hands and their feet are in the stalks. There's probably rats crawling all over the place. And it says that about midnight, Paul and Silas started singing praises to God. And the thing I like about that story is in the moment of your worst thing on earth, turn to God and praise Him anyways. Because He's got a way of escape. You don't have to be stuck. And so they began to sing praises to God, and it says the whole place that they were in was shaken, and their chains fell off, and the doors opened. Prison break, orchestrated by God. And the jailer sees that all the doors are open, and he's like, okay, I've just lost all my prisoners. They're going to kill me, so I might as well take my own life and get it over with. And as he's about to kill himself, Paul yells out and says, don't do it. We're all still here. And so the jailer says, says in verse 30 of chapter 16, he brought them out and he asked them this important question. When you've just seen a miracle take place, the place is shaken, the chains fell off, the doors open, go ahead and ask this question, what must I do to be saved? And they said to him, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all who were in his house. And he took them that same hour of the night and washed their stripes. And immediately he and all his family were baptized. I love that. Immediately. You don't have to wait a lifetime. Immediately. Things can change. Things changed for Paul and Silas. Things changed for the jailer and his family. You don't have to wait a lifetime for things to change. You can have things change in your life today. It doesn't matter what the devil's been telling you that you're never going to get out of this. You're never going to get any better. You're stuck where you are. You've just got to learn to live with your lot in life. That is lie out of the pit of hell. Today, things can change to you when you call on the name of the Lord. It doesn't mean uh, you're just calling on the name of the Lord to be saved. Well, I've been saved for 50 years now, Pastor Jordan. What about now? You can call upon the name of the Lord right now and be saved from that situation. You can be delivered out of them all. And it says that now when he had brought them into his house. So they've gone from the dungeon with the rats and the water. They're now in the house with the jailer. He's gone from being the one that was oppressing them to the one who is now being their supply. And he says, now when he had brought them into his house, he set food before them and he rejoiced, having believed in God with all his household. Today can be your day of salvation in whatever it is you're going through. So in the context, we're talking about baptism. And baptism is just a public declaration of what something else that has already taken place. The moment you believed, you were immersed into Jesus. And so next, or in two weeks, when we start baptizing people, we've got several people signed up now, when we start baptizing, they are standing up and publicly declaring, I am Christ and Christ is mine. I have been immersed into him. So maybe you got baptized 30 years ago. Guess what? You can stand up just as boldly today and say, I have been immersed into Christ Jesus. And because I am alive with him today, the situations of my life can change. Amen. Why don't you stand up with me this morning?
If you haven't received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you don't have to wait another moment. I would love to pray with you this morning. You can do it after the service. You can come talk to me. You can do it at any time. I'm always available. If you're watching via the internet and you haven't made Jesus your Lord, I would love to pray with you right now and have your life turn because today is the day of salvation. So why don't we pray with those that are watching right now and say, Father, I believe in Jesus. I believe that you've raised him from the dead. And I receive him now in Jesus' name. If you prayed that prayer with me this morning, I want you to get in contact with me. We would love to get you hooked up with a good church in your area and get some resources into your hands. But guys, the day of salvation is today. That doesn't just mean becoming a Christian. The day of salvation for whatever's facing you is today. I love what Hebrews says. It says, now faith is. Faith is always used wherever you are right now. It's not for the future. It doesn't get left in the past. If you need change in your life, today is your day of salvation. Let's lift up our hands. Father, we thank you for your salvation. We thank you that you deliver us out of all of our obstacles. We thank you that even when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you're with us. And your rod and your staff, they comfort us. We thank you for the good places you've prepared for us. And right now, we just look for your salvation. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. You guys are blessed. Have a wonderful week. Uh, there's coffee, and let's have some good conversation. But remember, you are loved by God, and you are accepted at by Him right now.